Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. Yet today we're starting a brand new message series called Stand for Your Family. This is all about how you can build your house so that as the storm rages, your family will be able to stand. Your kids need you to listen to this series. Your spouse needs you to listen to this series so that you can build on their behalf. You know, we've been spending the year talking about standing through the storm and how Jesus told us that the storm was coming and that the wise man is the one who builds his house on the solid rock and stands through the storm. The foolish man is the one who builds his house on the shifting sands. Excuse me. And I want you to be wise, not foolish. I want you to have a house that stands through the storm. So uh, this has been my great passion for this year, I think. I mean, we've been talking about it since January, and now we're in May, and we're going to be talking about standing for your family. This is a really, really big deal uh, that you and I stand for our family. And it's sort of like this, you know, my, my family and I, we had a chance recently to go and uh, spend a week at one of our favorite campsites, uh, which is Hunting Island in South Carolina. Hunting Island is a two mile long little barrier island right off the coast. And it's kind of a really cool place to go and camp. There's just all this beachfront everything. And the only people there are the people who are camping there. So you have the place almost to yourself. Uh, there's a lighthouse there and one of my my favorite features are these trees that they have. There's these trees that are right there on the coast and the forest kind of grew in the wrong place and the storms have come and gone and they've eroded the soil away literally literally land where there used to be forest land and uh, these trees so there's this whole crazy forest of these trees where the roots have been exposed and you can see the video of uh, the kind of haunting strange forest of all these beautiful yet dead trees roots exposed and trees down because the storms have blown and have swept the sand right out from under these trees and this forest which should have been a lush green living thriving place is now like a eerie ghost forest and it's tragically beautiful it's beautiful, beautiful for pictures and video, but it's tragic because these trees have had the soil ripped right out from under them, and now they're all dead. And I want to kind of use that mental picture to show you the first blank in this series, and that is that the storm is undermining my family. The storm is undermining my family and your family. 
And I don't want that for you. I don't want you to be an exposed root, falling forest, dying forest. I want you to be the opposite of that. I want you to be like that tree in Psalms that's planted firmly by that water that's running and its roots grow down deep. It's anchored in and it's strong and bearing fruit in season and out of season. And so that's what we're gonna be talking about over the next several weeks all the way through May is, is, is building for your family. No matter what your role in your family is, maybe, maybe your child, maybe you're a brother, maybe you're a dad, maybe you're the grandparents, maybe whatever your primary role is, I want us to talk about building our family because the storm is undermining your family. You can see it all over the place. And it's exposing our roots. And before you know it, we're going to be just like that forest. So for the next few weeks, as we're talking about, th about this, I hope you'll stick with me on this. And I hope you'll walk through this study that we're going to do. We're going to be learning lessons from Nehemiah's experience. Nehemiah is a biblical character in the Old Testament, and you may know who he is. I preached through his life years ago, and uh, some of you may vaguely remember that. Some of you may just know because you're good Sunday school students, and you may just really know Nehemiah. But Nehemiah is a really interesting character. He was the cupbearer to the king, serving in Artaxerxes' palace in Persia, but he shouldn't have been. Yeah, you see, because about 150 years before Nehemiah's story, back before Nehemiah was even born, Babylon had invaded Israel three separate times. And each of those times, they, they took people with them back home to Babylon. They deported people back into Babylon. They took captive Israelites removing them from their land, removing them from their home and taking them back as, I don't know, slaves, prisoners of war. But they went to Babylon as captives. And over time, Persia came along and became the great dominating world force and they overtook Babylon. And Artaxerxes' dad, King Xerxes, gave the Jewish people permission to go back home. He's like, you know, if I'd have been Babylon, I wouldn't have captured you guys. Y'all can go home if you want to. But a lot of time had gone by, and a lot of people went back home to Judah, to Israel, but a lot of people stayed, like Nehemiah's family. So they stayed there, and Xerxes gave way to Artaxerxes, and Nehemiah was the servant to King Artaxerxes there in the kingdom. He kind of he kind of had a cush job. He kind of had a nice job serving the king. He worked in the palace. He was among the high people. He got to eat good food. I mean, he had a really nice job and a good position there in the palace with King Artaxerxes. But it wasn't his right position. You see, Nehemiah was a good Jewish boy. That means that he was one of God's chosen people. He was designed by God to serve the king of all kings, to serve the kingdom of God, yet here he is serving the king of the world at the time. He belongs to one kingdom, but he's serving an entirely different kingdom altogether. 
Isn't that kind of who we find ourselves being? You know, stuff happened to us. We didn't choose to be here. Stuff happened to us, and so we just kind of are here. Before we were even born, stuff happened, and, you know, the culture was what it was. Uh, America was what it was. But now here we are finding ourselves serving a kingdom that we may not belong to. We are chosen by God to be building his kingdom, but how much time do we spend in our lives building the wrong kingdom? We are serving all of the wrong kings instead of serving the king of all kings. We're building the wrong house. How'd this happen? Because, you know, the storm doesn't always come rapidly. Sometimes the storm is slow in coming. And I think that's why we are where we are today. Because at one time, at one time, it wasn't really a storm yet. All we knew was it was just a light breeze that was blowing. And when that breeze is blowing, I feel, oh, it feels good. I like the breeze. Oh, you feel that? Oh, it feels really good. Right? And for a while, the breeze just blows, but then slowly it begins to pick up and the wind blows harder and harder. And before long, that little light breeze has turned into kind of a stiff wind. And there's dark clouds on the horizon. Not here yet, but it's coming. Maybe you can hear the thunder off in the distance. And you know there's a storm blowing. You can smell it in the air. You know it's coming, but you know, it's probably not gonna, it's, the wind's been blowing for a while now and nothing's really happened. So it's probably not gonna affect us. I'm from Florida. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I, I watched the news story and the people were stubborn and they were like, no, we know the hurricane is gonna come right here for our town, but we're gonna stay put. You can't make us leave. And then everything gets destroyed around them. And we're kind of like that. We can see it coming. We know it's coming. It's out there. But, you know, I think I can survive this. And so we try to kind of stay put where we are. And before you know it, the storm is raging and blowing and undermining everything around us. Right? You, you can see it, can't you? Can't you see it? Our political system is now raging against us, right? Our news media, you can't trust it in, at all anymore. You can't believe anything you see in the news anymore, right? War in Europe is going on and it may just expand and become much bigger than it currently is. The storm is raging. Our money is worth way less today than it was just a few months ago, right? The storm is raging. School systems across America are indoctrinating our children that they should embrace gender fluidity. You can become whichever one you want. There's not just two, there's as many different ones as you want. I'm not talking about peer pressure. I'm talking about school systems across the United States indoctrinating children. The storm is raging. I used to think popular media was just filthy, but I don't think that anymore. Now I'm convinced that popular media is controlled by an evil agenda and their goal is to control you 
and especially your children and your grandchildren. The culture is raging against us, right? And we no longer seem to have anything to sink our roots into. And our families, our families are becoming tragic, dead forests. This is who we are becoming. And I hope that this is your wake-up call. I hope that this is your wake-up call, that the storm is no longer way off on the horizon. It's here now, and it's not just blowing, but it is undermining you and your family. You know, it's easy for us old people to look at what the messaging that we see all around us and go, dude, there can be, there can be an infinite number of genders. That's crazy. But your kids and your grandkids will grow up never hearing any different. It's undermining everything around us right now. This is your wake-up call. Nehemiah needed a wake-up call. He's happily going about his good business, serving the king in the palace, and his brothers took a trip back home to their hometown, to Jerusalem, the king, or sorry, the capital city of Israel, of Judah, the southern kingdom. And they came back, and Nehemiah said, dude, welcome home. How was your trip? And he asked him, he says, tell me all about Jerusalem. I want to hear about the city of God. And here's their response to Nehemiah. They said, things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The city of God is a disgrace. It's in ruins. The temple had been rebuilt, but the walls had not. And they were embarrassingly nothing but rubble. And area raiders kept coming into the city and plundering over and over again. The city of God was nothing but a disgrace to God and to the people of God. And this broke Nehemiah. You see, Nehemiah knew what the city of God was supposed to be. He knew what it stood for. He knew that it was the walls of the city should be protecting the people of God. And yet now here everything is in ruins and it so broke him. In fact, here's what he writes. Nehemiah writes this in Nehemiah 1. He says, when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and I prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah's heart was broken because he realized what Jerusalem is supposed to be, but he had just heard how bad it really was. And here's the thing about Nehemiah. He began to catch a vision, a vision for what Jerusalem could be once again, what Jerusalem should be once again. If this vision that he got just broke him. Vision. 
I used to think the vision was something that only certain people had. It was some kind of mystical, magical thing that only certain people had vision, but boy, was I wrong about that. I believe that God made you to be a person of vision. And vision doesn't have to be some mystical, magical thing. In fact, I looked it up, and the, the definition for a vision, having a vision, is just simply this. It's the next blank on your page. Vision is a clear picture of what could be or what should be. Vision is just being able to see the end result before it begins to happen. And when you have a vision, vision determines your actions. When you have a vision, it dictates your direction. Once you have a vision and believe in it, it will change everything about you. It will, it will, it will make you do things differently in your life. Some visions are huge, big visions. Some visions are small. Think about big visions. You know, in the 1970s, Steve Jobs had a vision that computers, which were, you know, in the realm only of nerd coders at the time, he believed that computers should be on every desktop and should be easy for anyone to use. And so Apple Computer came out with the world's first consumer graphical user interface point and click. Instead of programming the computer, you point and you click and made life easy and, and then computers became everywhere. You carry them in your pocket now. And all machines, it seems like these days, are driven by a point and click system of some kind, a graphical user interface. Steve Jobs' vision changed the world. That's a big vision. Sometimes your vision can be smaller, right? Sherry and I have lived in our house now for about 15 years, and our kitchen has not aged well. <laughs> I got those builder grade, you know, countertops, the laminate, you know, and, um, and they were fine 15 years ago, but man, uh, they have not done well over the years. Our cabinets are looking rough and uh, I mean everything's just kind of not what it should be and we've been we've been talking about this for years we've been looking at we'll walk in our kitchen and what is wrong with this place and we've been saying boy we need to do something about this we really need to do we just got to do something about it and for years nothing has happened because in my life probably like you we're just going all the time we're busy all the time uh, Stephen, Stephen and I were talking the other day. I literally don't have a free night of the week. I just always got something going on. So we just, we never can. I, we just, we look at it and go, man, that stinks. And we just move on, you know? And so it was about a, about a week ago. I just, I was just sitting with my wife in the car and I said, look, this has got to end. Something's got to happen. I don't know what, but something's got to happen with our kitchen. So we went to the Granite Place, we went to the Home Depot, we went to the Lowe's, and we started looking at stuff, and we started making you know, lists of stuff, and we picked a sample of granite for the countertops, and we picked a sample of tile for backsplash, and we uh, got paint and stain colors, and I took them home, and dude, we got a big old, big chunk of granite now that I took and put on the countertop, and I got a sample of that tile backsplash about this big, about a foot by a foot, and I sat it behind that up against the wall, and I laid out all, this, all the sample colors, and I said, this is what we're going to do in here, 
And today, a week later, all of our countertops uh, have been measured. All of our cabinet doors have been removed. All of our drawer faces have been pulled off. We're sanding things down and we're, and we're starting to make giant changes. And now you walk into our kitchen and it's a lot worse. <laughs> but we got a vision. And we're willing to change everything and make it a lot worse for a little while because we know what the end result is going to be. Once you have a vision, it begins to change everything. Once you have a clear picture of what could be, you start moving in that direction. And God's made you to be a person of vision. That's who you are. And God began to plant and cultivate a vision for Jerusalem deep into Nehemiah's heart. And once that happened for Nehemiah, that cush job, that nice position, his comfort and his status there in Persia suddenly didn't matter to him so much. Suddenly, he kind of got off of his, you know, riding his laurels, and he started focusing on the vision that God had given him. Nehemiah began to dream of something much, much bigger, something much, much better. And here's what I want to tell you right now. Next blank on your page is that God has a big vision for your family. Don't you? I believe God has a big vision for your family. Do you have a big vision for your family? Maybe, maybe that little kid of yours is just learning to walk and to talk, right? And right now, they're just in diapers and they can say, you know, hi, and that's about all they can say. And they're toddling around and, you know, right now, it's all you can do to follow them around and clean up the mess. But don't you have a vision that one day that little toddling boy is going to be a father himself and be a well-adjusted contributing member of society, having his dream job and raising his own kids to love God, love others, and to make disciples? Right? Don't you have that vision for that little baby boy or that little baby girl? Maybe, maybe your family's a little different. I've heard the story, I don't know, a half dozen times recently. It's the same story, different family. Every time. You know, maybe something happened years ago. Maybe you're not even sure exactly what happened. But something happened in your family and drove a wedge in the middle of it. And now, Christmas after Christmas, Thanksgiving after Thanksgiving has gone by where this part of the family will have nothing to do with that part of the family. They don't talk to each other. They don't get along. Nobody just, we just, mm, we just don't even, mm. we just keep the walls up and nobody really knows what to do about it. And year after year now has gone by and everybody's just floating through this disaster of a family and nobody will do anything about it. Don't you have a vision for seeing your family reunited to see it reconcile, coming back together again, being a strong unit of a family once again? Don't you want that? Can't you see that for your family? See, I believe that God says, blessed are the peacemakers. 
And I believe something about you in this situation. In fact, I believe the same thing about you that Paul wrote about you and about me on this. Here's what he writes to us in Ephesians 2, one of my favorite verses. He says, we, that's me and you, we are God's masterpiece. You see that? Say this, say we are God's masterpiece. No, come on, say it like you believe it. We are God's you and I are God's masterpiece. And he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. I mean, think about this for just a second. You're God's masterpiece. You are the product of God's own vision. God had a vision for your family and you are the product of that vision. And you're not just some kind of, you know, small role part. I mean, think about it, you're his masterpiece. I, I love Hunting Island. I love getting up early and going out on the beach and watching the sun come up over the ocean. It's breathtaking, it's beautiful, it's astounding. The beautiful deep blue to orange to yellow colors in the sky over the waves of the ocean, it is just gonna take your breath away every time you even think about it. But that's not God's masterpiece. I love going to the Great Smoky Mountains. Same thing, I love going and seeing the sun rising over the mountains in the morning. I love hiking, seeing the beautiful, gorgeous waterfalls up there in the Great Smoky Mountains. I love all that, but that's not his masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. You are the pinnacle of his creation. So you are God's expression of himself, but it doesn't end there. You're not just the product of God's own vision, but it says right there that we are here to do the good things that he planned for us long ago. The good things he planned for us long ago. That means uh, that God has a vision for your family and he put you right there so that you could speak and act on his behalf so that you could enact his vision into the lives of those right around you. You are his masterpiece. You play a unique role in completing God's vision. In 1 Corinthians 6, it says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. I'm gonna say that again. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you. He bought you with a high price, so you and I must honor God with our body. Here's what that means, is that God's got a plan for your life, and I know I say this all the time, but here's the secret that I've learned, and I'm still trying to learn, it's that God's plan is always better than my plan. God's plan is always, always better than my plan. How dare I sit here and live a poor excuse of a visionless life? When God has said, you are my masterpiece, and I've put you here 
to live out my vision, to complete my vision in your family. You're not married to that guy by accident. You're not related to those people by accident. You didn't just tumble into that family. You know, we always say you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. That's because God chose your family. He put you there. And sure, there's a lot of things for you to be pursuing in your life, but why would you ever want to miss out on a God-given vision and purpose that he wants you to fulfill? Why would you miss out on one breath of a God-level vision for your family? I want you to be able to experience that strong power in your life like Nehemiah did. He began to tune into the vision that God had given him. And so his response to that was to pray. God began to plant that vision in his heart. And so he prayed and and look at Nehemiah's prayer. It's still right there in Nehemiah 1. He prays this, I confess, God, that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I, we have sinned. We've sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant, Moses. Nehemiah repented. The first step Nehemiah took once he caught a vision was to repent. Here's what I want to challenge you with today. Connecting to God's vision for your life, for your family, it begins with repentance. It begins with repentance. Repentance is a biblical word. I know we don't use it in our culture really so much anymore, but repentance simply means that you're going one way. You know, God's plan's better than your plan. You're on your plan. And repentance means that you turn from your old way into his new way. You turn from your plan to his much better plan. You repent from your own small, insignificant vision, and you turn to his big vision for you and for your family. This is what Nehemiah did as he began to repent It's our first step too. It's my step and your step. This is why I always say that the pattern of the believer is repentance and faith. It's a pattern. It's a lifestyle because we're born into the wrong family, right? I mean, you can't choose your family. We're born into the family of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were the pinnacle of all of God's creation, right? God made the world very good, very pleased with every single last bit of it. Even the man and the woman, he was so happy with them, so pleased that he walked in the garden with them. Having that level of relationship, they could do whatever they wanted, naked, with God, good with them. And God said, I've put you here to live and to speak and to act on my behalf. You go and be fruitful and multiply. And you bring everything under your authority because you represent me. So when the world comes under your authority, it's coming under my authority. This is good. 
But we decided, our family decided that we wanted to rebel against that. We didn't want to come under God's authority. We thought that we should just have our own authority. We thought that we could make a better God than God. And so we rebelled against him, right? We became traitors against the king of all kings. We became sinners. And the wages of traitorous sin is death. And so all of us deserve our punishment that we got coming to us. All of us deserve this punishment for our treasonous sin. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus came here and he goes to the cross and on the cross he takes the penalty of my sin. God takes all of my sin and he heaps it up and he dumps it onto Jesus and he blames Jesus for what I had done. And Jesus dies in my place on the cross. He takes the full wrath of God and it's exhausted in Christ, not on me. There's none left for me because Jesus has already taken it all. He dies and he goes to the grave and then three days later he rises again to give me the abundant life that he desires me to walk in. The big vision that he desires for me to have. He plants himself in me and grows something brand new. Am I right? That's what he does in us. All he asks you to do is repent. Turn from that old. Turn from your rebellion. Turn from your sins, your crimes, and trust me instead. Become that masterpiece that he wants you to become. And it starts with repentance. In the late 1800s, there were two brothers who were all consumed with figuring out a way to get humans to fly. And Orville and Wilbur Wright were thought to be crazy, insane people. Everybody was like, no, y'all are idiots. If God wanted you to fly, he'd have given you wings, right? Duh. How dare you think that humans can fly? And they were just all about it, trying to figure out a way for humans to fly. And they had, they had unsuccessful attempt after unsuccessful attempt. And they were reading everything they could read on the subject, which wasn't much. <laughs> but there was one book that they loved. It was called The Empire de la Air by Frenchman Louis-Pierre Mouillard. I had to write it down in big words so I could say that. And Wilbur Wright is quoted as saying that this book by this guy was like a prophet crying in the wilderness, exhorting the world to repent of its unbelief in the possibility of human flight. So just when they were getting discouraged, they read this book and they kept trying and kept trying. And today we can fly all across the country and all around the world whenever we want to because of Orville and Wilbur Wright repenting from their unbelief. Everybody said it was impossible, but they honking made it happen. So here's my question. In your family, what impossibility do you need to repent from? What impossibility do you think is facing your family that you just need to repent from and trust God with. 
Yeah, I know some of us in here right now are saying this marriage is that far from being over. It's impossible. And you may have even already given up. Or maybe you're a grandparent and you're saying my kids and my grandkids are done with me. They want nothing to do with me anymore. They won't even come see me on the holidays. It's impossible. Maybe you're like that story I've heard over and over and over again. My family is broken and separated and they're never gonna reconcile. It's impossible. But I'm here to tell you that scripture is very clear. With God, all things are possible. Right? With God, all things are possible. Why would you, why would you give up on your responsibility to be the vision bearer in your family? God put you there for a reason. I know, I know, you've been saying, well, I guess we just got to give up and let God have control. Let go and let God. I believe that, and I want to encourage you to always trust God. But I think we often, way too often, use that phrase as a cop-out. It's a lie from the pit of hell to distract you from the God-given vision that he wants you to live in. I mean, think about it. Think about it in this respect, from your family. You bring that beautiful, beautiful baby girl home. Let me see her, let me see her, come on, let me. There she is, that beautiful grandbaby girl. She comes home, she's got her teal bow. She's starting to learn to crawl around. She's got beautiful blue eyes, you know, and her parents have taken care of her since she was born. And, can you imagine taking her and laying her down in her crib and just gazing into her beautiful face? She's so beautiful. And going, well, you know, I've done all I can do. I don't really know what to do next. So I'm just going to let go and let God. I'm out. Call me at graduation. Does that even make sense? No, they will take that child away and you'll never see that child again. Am I right? You see, God has a vision for that little baby girl and he put my son and my daughter-in-law right there and he is going to enact that vision through their hands-on approach every day for the rest of that girl's life. Am I right? That's why God put them there. And it's the same in your family as well. God has a vision for your family, so he put you there. He put you right there to be the light to your family, to bring peace where there is currently conflict. Blessed are the peacemakers. He said that for a reason. He's talking to you. You have been put there as his masterpiece. And I know you think, well, I don't know what else to do. Well, I think, next blank on your page, I think that I need to and you need to repent of our small vision. We need to repent of our small vision. Why do you think he put you there in the first place? As a believer in Christ, he has given you the ability to have a God-level vision for your family. What is your vision for your family? What is it? Do you know what it is? Have you ever just written it down? Maybe, maybe your vision for your family is just 
one day having adult kids that want to come and be with you in the holidays. That's a good vision. And I know lots of grandparents where that is not the case. That's a good vision. Maybe your vision is reconciling that marriage. I know you feel like it's hopeless, but he put you there to live and act on his behalf. Maybe your vision is just you want your kids to grow up knowing and loving God. And that might, if you have that vision, it might change the way that you raise your children. Maybe your vision is to, you know, actually take family vacations. Dude, I, I, that was a vision of mine when my kids were young. I'm just going to be honest. I, I used to be a little bit of a workaholic. Thank goodness that's not the case anymore. And for years, as my children were growing up, we didn't, we never took, we never, I didn't spend a lot of family time. I, I really didn't. And, and I couldn't see at that time that what I was doing is I was risking my own family's future by not investing like I should today. I didn't get that. I thought vacations, that's for people who ain't got nothing to do in life. So I was making a huge mistake and didn't realize it. And through a series of circumstances, God convicted me of this. I knew we needed to take family vacations. And so I did something about it. I bought a pop-up camper. I'm not kidding. I was like, this, God's telling me to buy a pop-up camper. Now, God didn't come to me and say, buy a StarCraft four-bed camper. And it's not that kind of thing. He just said, dude, you need to do something about your family. So I bought a camper and we went, we started making the practice of going twice a year on a week-long camping excursion. That's how we first went to Hunting Island. And I'm gonna be honest with you, I was scared to death. I was, I'm not kidding, I was scared to death because I didn't think I liked my family that much. <laughs> and I knew they didn't like me that much. I'm not kidding. And so seriously, the, the, first, the first one, actually the first one we took was to Cloudland Canyon. You ever been to Cloudland Canyon? North Georgia's best kept secret. Beautiful, beautiful canyon, waterfalls and everything. So the first one was over there. I'm not kidding about this. We pulled in, I backed the camper in to my very first camping spot. We got out of the car, and before I even unhooked the camper and started setting stuff up, I, I got with my wife and I said, now honey, um, I've booked a week here, but if we can make it three days, I'll call it a success. Okay, can we, let's just get, just get three days under our belt. And I really didn't think it was gonna happen. And you know what happened? I unhooked the trailer and all of a sudden it was a week later and time to go. I mean, we had the most amazing family time and we cultivated and built these deep bonds together that I never imagined we could have. And that two times a year family vacation time, it became the thing that I lived for year after year. And today my relationship with my kids, dude, I can't get them to stop calling me all day long. <laughs> I literally have to ignore the phone call some days because they keep calling me. I love that. I get to be with my grandkids whenever I want to be with my grandkids because we have that good of a relationship. It could have gone the other way, but I did something about it because God told me, I put you here for this. 
Do you know why God's put you in your family? One day, one day, oh, the rain is coming. See, the storm <laughs> is here. One day, those people, those very same people are probably all going to stand together over my cold, dead body. And there's going to be tears shed, and they're going to talk about me. And they're going to talk about the influence that I did or didn't have on them. And man, I hope the conversation is not, yeah, dad was in love with his motorcycle and was always out on the bike. Or man, I remember the anger issues, or I remember the workaholism, or you know, whatever it is. I hope they don't tell those stories. I hope they say stuff on that day, like we all know who we are today because of him. We're, we're all together and tight because he wouldn't let it go. We always felt loved and encouraged and accepted, and we know who we are in Christ because of him. That's what I want them to be saying on that day. Because, next blank on your page, this is my life's great work. My family is my life's great work. There is nothing that comes even close to being second. My family is my life's great work, and it's your great work also. God put you there to make a difference no matter what your role in your family happens to be. So live out your great work. Man, I wanna challenge you. There's blank spots on that page. Take that page and after church today, write out your vision for your family. Write out your vision for your kids. Write out your vision for your marriage. Spell it out. Take that big granite slab and put it on the countertop and take the sample of the tile, put it behind there and step back and look at it and say, okay, what have I got to do to make this happen? Because this is your life's great work. Mm -hmm.